Welcome back to another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. This is a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they are doing. I'm your host, Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated. My thanks to everyone who listens. Do make sure that you're signed up for the weekly email newsletter. Oftentimes there are exclusives in there that those who subscribe get to see first. So if you're not currently receiving that, start getting access by putting your email address in the sign-up box on the show website, nhte.net. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Central California, my guest is a singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, producer, and recording engineer who is also the founder of the independent record label Lost Coast Records. He also owns Lost Chord Guitars, which includes a music venue and a boutique guitar shop. He is even the founder of a company that does speaker systems. Throughout his career, he has performed or worked with everyone from actor and recording artist Jeff Bridges to Disney to Third Eye Blind, Michael McDonald, and more. You've been hearing a song that he produced called Day by Day. Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Chris Polonis. Thanks, Bruce. Really uh, nice to be here with you and uh, all of your listeners. I appreciate uh, the opportunity. You bet. You bet. Thank you. And as we just heard in that intro, you wear a lot of hats, so there's a lot for us to dig into here. But first, share with us all about that song that was just playing called Day by Day. Ah, that's Loke Dogs. That's that's actually my son's band. His first band was Stolen Thunder when he was very, very young. He started when he was like 13 or 14. Uh, He was the guitarist, and they had a a lead singer girl singer and um you know they kind of took the santa barbara county by storm winning the battle of the bands you know against kids that were you know college age and Hmm. um ended up making a uh, their first record was um cut at the foo fighters 606 studio and taylor hawkins the late taylor hawkins i i just want to you know put out some thoughts and prayers to his family and friends and all of his fans. Um, what a wonderful guy. And he was so generous working with the kids. And, mm. you know, when he, he asked me if I wanted him to play drums on my kid's record, I was, I don't take gifts well, but I said yes real quick. <laughs> yeah. wow. So that was the, that was their first record. And um, that band broke up. The singer decided she didn't really want to be a singer after all that. So he formed Lope Dogs which has been a lot of uh, reincarnations. You know, as soon as somebody doesn't seem committed, he gets somebody else. Um, and this latest thing that you were just hearing is off his, uh, he's got two new singles out and he's got an EP that went out about a year or so ago. Uh, that's the first single from the new batch called Day by Day. And he played everything that you heard. He played drums, bass, guitar, vocals, everything. Mm. Uh, and and, uh, co-produced it with me he's really 23 years old and just a a lot of talent Um, also interestingly enough speaking of him I know you had Carly Joe Jackson on who's one of the artists that I and is on Lost Coast Records she's um, he played drums on her record which if you listen to Loke Dogs and you listen to her record 
it's almost hard to imagine that that's the same guy playing drums, but mm. it is. Well, for those that are listening, Loke Dogs, it's L-O-C and then D-A-W-G-S. So Loke Dogs is the band that you're hearing Chris talk about. I wonder, Chris, in you said you co-produced it with him. Is it easier because it's your son or is it a different dynamic from being his dad when it's I'm the producer or in that case the co-producer and he's the artist? What does that look like compared to someone that you're producing who is not a family member? Well, I'll just be perfectly (laughs) transparent about it. He shows up more prepared than anybody I've ever worked with. Wow. And a lot of people show up prepared. You know, I'm not saying that people come in and they're not prepared, but we did uh, four songs. He started out playing drums to the song in his head, maybe one or two takes, bass, one or two takes. We did four songs. We recorded all the parts, all the vocals and everything in four hours. That included setting up the studio. Mm. So that song that you just heard day by day, that might have taken a total of 45 minutes for him mm. for all those parts. And, you know, originally, you know, he kind of looked to me as his producer, but the truth is he came in, he knew exactly what he wanted. Uh, he's really a co-producer. The arrangements are all his. He has a lot of ideas and opinions and valid opinions about how things sound, how he wants them placed. So it was real obvious to me that he was co-producing. So the fact that he's my son, um, you know, (laughs) I don't think he gives me any opportunity to be dad so much because he's so ahead of the game that, you know, I'm not like, hey, man, you didn't do your homework. Yeah. What's the matter? Don't waste my time. It's more like I'm keeping up with him, you know? Yeah. It sounds like it. It sounds like it. It really makes it easy, but... Um, he's a really, anyone who knows him, he's a, he's just a really nice human being and super, um, easy to, to work with. So him being my son, I don't even really look at it that way. He just comes in and just does his job. He was last night we were recording Randy Tico, who's the bass player in, in my other band, you know, Jeff Bridges and the Abiders. And he's a great composer and, does a lot of film scoring and theater scoring. And he hired Christian to play guitar and drums on some of his stuff. And Mm. he came in last night and, you know, late and just laid down all kinds of stuff where Randy and I were both sitting in there with our eyes like saucers, you know, (laughs) and, you know, he's just like, okay, thanks. Yeah. How's that? I can do another one if you want. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Good stuff. Good stuff secret weapons i think and they just got um they've got some pretty major management that are helping them now and looking at them so i think that they're you know they're on the launching pad pretty much fantastic fantastic and folks as you heard chris mention episode 414 specifically is just over three months ago is when my guest was recording artist carly joe jackson and she talked during that interview extensively about working with Chris. And so if there is an aspiring artist listening, Chris, who says, oh, well, maybe Chris can work with me too then. Are you open for business or do you work on a referrals only basis? How might people contact you to see if there's a fit for possibly working together? (laughs) That's an interesting question. Um, 
You know, I've been lately I'm working on my own record, which I've been trying to get done for so long. <laughs> Back in the I did have a record out under Chris Andrew, which is not really available, although some people are pirating it, you know. Mm. You hear like the song Holding On, which was, you know, I got a lot of airplay back in those days. But um, I started getting distracted with designing studios or helping other artists. And every time I'd get in the studio and start working on my record, you know, Jeff Bridges would call and say, hey, I just we got a bunch of shows, you know, and then I just kind of go do that. And by the time we're done, I don't even remember what I was trying to record or Mm. Michael McDonald during COVID, I thought, this is a great time for me to do my record. And Mike <laughs> kind of thought the same thing. So he hired me to produce his record. And that's what I did, which, you know, I co-produced that with him. And I'm, you know, I'm so proud of that. We can talk about that, I'm sure, later. But that's how those things kind of happen. I ran into Carly Joe just by accident at the NAMM show. She was kind of off campus. And I heard her just playing solo acoustic with a cajon player and she completely floored me. The girl is absolute. She's a star. I mean, whether or not she's getting the half a billion listens or not, she should be getting them because she's every bit as much a star as anybody I've ever heard, you know, and that's kind of, you know, I, I feel that way with everybody that I'm working with, you know, like if something really blows me away, then you know there's a good chance that I might be interested in in doing a project. They okay. also have to be cool. <laughs> like I don't want to work with you know. There's a lot of people that I just you know would rather not be around. I don't care so much if they might be the next biggest thing in the world. I'd rather throw the ball for my dog and hang out you know out in the open than work with somebody that I don't get along with or that I don't appreciate as a person or that doesn't appreciate me as a person so that's a long-winded answer to the short answer is maybe (laughs) okay but they're doing what they want you know if there's a budget all that stuff you know a lot of variables but um you know i mean i guess you could you know send me a send me a message on instagram or something and don't you know if i don't respond it's probably because I didn't see it or I'm I'm doing something else that's got my head so much in another direction that I just can't respond even if I read it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And and on that note of you've got your head in something else, I, I always say that in the music business, very, very few people are doing just one thing, and you are proof of that with all those different roles that I mentioned in the intro that you take on. I'm convinced that every day has to be different for you. Am I right? Or is it a case of, no, Bruce, actually, I, I definitely am first and foremost a, you know, what, whatever role that would be. I'm a songwriter, producer, engineer. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's all pretty different. And, and you know, and I kind of, I usually have an idea the day before, like before I go to bed, the night before, I have a pretty pretty good idea what my day looks like. And sometimes there's little spots of days leading out maybe as far as a week or two. Hardly ever do I go way out. Like, you know, I mean, once in a while I'll book something or, you know, I think I'm, I've got a couple of shows that I booked that were like a month or two ahead for me as a solo artist or with my band, my personal band. And then the phone will ring. I didn't know I was going to be in the studio last night until yesterday. Mm. You know, Randy and Christian were talking and, um, 
they said, hey, can we come and do this out at your place? I said, uh, well, yeah, when? They said, how about 8, 8.30? <laughs> and I said, well, I have somebody that can do sound for me at Lost Chord, and I could actually, yeah, I could do that. Wow. But I'm also still currently designing, you know, studios and stuff, so I, I have to find time to put in and keep those projects current, um, you know, along with Lost Core Guitar. And there's there's more. There's also a restaurant business thing, and um, I don't even want to get into that because it's <laughs> not related to this. But, um, yeah, it, it, every day kind of takes its own takes on its own life. Okay, but let's go back to, you started to say a few minutes ago that you are trying to do your own solo project, your own album. So, you know, what's the outlook for that these days? Where does it stand? And, and are you able to carve out time to be more dedicated to it than these interruptions that you referred to in the past? Is it kind of a personal goal kind of thing? This is going to be out in 2022? Or is it, oh, look, I, I know how these things go. It's going to be very fluid. Uh, my hope is that Basically, I pretty much have all the material sorted out, and I, I know how I intend to perform it, at least from my point. And I have thoughts of just doing it completely alone as just a solo unplugged thing. Then I have ideas of working with other musicians. And um, again, like you say, you never know what you're going to do. Will it be out this year? I, I'm going to say yes, it will be out this year. Um <laughs> Uh, but, you know, like the other day, um, Alice Howe, who's a, an amazing artist and uh, her producer, bass player, Freebo, you know, who was with Bonnie Raitt all those years and stuff, they came and played at Lost Corps. And I'm now I ended up mastering their album for them. And it's I love it. And she and I started messing around on the piano and singing a duet. So apparently uh, now she's going to sing on my record with me because it was so cool and we might do a duet or something like that. Her record is coming out soon. Keep an eye on that, Alice Howe. So I didn't really see that coming. So it is a little bit fluid. Um, probably it won't just be me, but it will, it will be centrically. It, I was going to say it will be me-centric, but that didn't sound very, <laughs> that was very strange. But it will be mostly me on piano and vocal or me on guitar and vocal um, live. I'm really into capturing an actual performance. I don't like to do the cut a track, do 25 tracks of vocals, comp the vocal, huh. get the best syllable. I, I don't do that, you know. Um, Carly Joe's record is her in front of a stereo microphone with a bass player, Randy Tico, who actually I just mentioned, and George Pendergast from Dishwalla. They were all in the room together. She was in front of a stereo mic. The guitar and the voice went into the mic live, one take. Every song was one take. There was no cutting, pasting, pitch correcting, nothing. That's the mm. most honest. Un, you know, There's no trickery at all with that record. That's just how she sounds. You know, The guitar and the voice are all on the same mic. I can't separate them if I want to. Wow. Wow. And that's how to do my record uh loke dogs same thing everything you hear on loke dogs it's one take you know it's christian sang the song all the way through his guitar solos everything's just you know there's that's just it come in and be ready to go mm. jeff bridge latest single that i produced was uh my welcome mat 
that was all of the abiders in one room together with Jeff, you know, playing acoustic guitar and singing. Everything's bleeding all over the place. So there's no like, oh, let's just grab that vocal and punch it in and fix it. That's yeah. Jeff singing through and T-Bone Burnett was sitting on the couch, you know, kind of telling us what take felt the best. And and that was it, you know, just very honest. But I'm curious, whatever set you in that direction in the first place, because it is so, so, so overwhelming to be done the way that you describe, where there's, you know, let's comp that, let's do a few different takes, and let's take the guitar from this, and let's pull the vocal from that. So whatever influenced you to say, no, I want to go in this direction with it, everyone else can do it that way? Probably because the best records ever made ever are made that way. If you go back in time and you listen to, you know... Most most of those, right, they didn't have the technology to do all that stuff. Yeah. I think that two people, it's like, don't second guess yourself. Be honest and be, you know, you don't really sound like you do when you're pitch corrected. Mm. So that's not really who you are. I mean, if that's what you're into, that's okay. I'm not discrediting people that make those kind of records. And um, to me, it's a lot more overwhelming to to get prepared to actually <laughs> just do it honestly you know you go in and i mean look man back in the day i produced people i was vice president of a kind of a major production company and i had to make people sound good that didn't sound good <laughs> i do that it's it's really not that hard you know i mean there's especially now with computers i used to do it with analog tape mm. but you know i mean they got auto tune you can manually pitch correct things you can take 40 tracks of a vocal and make it really easy to cut, you know, one syllable from every track and put together some seamlessly that sounds like it was actually sang that way. If, you know, if you're a real good engineer and, and you know how to edit. Um, so I guess one part of that answer is my favorite records ever are pretty much that way, you know, and a lot of them are live records. Jackson Brown's, uh, I love that solo acoustic record of his, you know, and it's just, you know, you can tell he's singing in front of people. He didn't go, I don't think he went in and like took 10 different performances into one. You really can't do that. Yeah. The Abiders, Jeff Bridges and the Abiders Live is, you know, one show in Las Vegas. And that was it. Mm. You know, the sh I felt like everybody really performed well together and it sounded good and everybody had a good time so that's that was a big influence and you know kind of leading in that same direction if i might segue into how i record and why i don't close mic things and yeah. put a bunch of mics you know I, I just use a stereo mic on the overhead drum and a kick mic and i i count on the drummer to be able to play the drums with dynamics if he wants the toms to come up in a certain place and he should hit them harder mm. there and that's how i record stuff you know i record a lot of you know there's a lot of room it's a lot of like you're in the room with with the band and that really came when i was very young my grandparents owned a building where they had a restaurant called revels and there was a recording studio that they were renting out to this guy named david hassinger had the sound factory. David Hassinger is quite famous for anybody who really knows their history. You know, he won a Grammy for uh, satisfaction for the Rolling Stones. And when I was very young, he was talking to me. He said, do you like that sound on those drums? 
I said, yeah. Because you want to know how I got it? I had no idea what you're talking about, but I knew it was important. You know, because I played guitar and stuff when I was very young. And he said, well, I was in the basement at RCA, I think he said. I'm pretty sure it was the RCA building. And I took one microphone and I put it way up in the ceiling, kind of far away from the drums. And that's the only microphone on the drums. Mm. That I, I just got the, the real sound of the drums and the room. That's how I got that sound. Now, now I didn't know what he was talking about then, yeah. but I sure do now. Yeah. You know, and that really my eyes to, you know, when we started, you know, and I, I was, I came up when, you know, all of a sudden there was automation on consoles and, you know, you could sync two 24 track tape machines together and, you put two mics on the snare and, you know, the hi-hat and every Tom had a mic and there was overheads and room mics and two room mics and four room mics and, you know, and you'd go in and you would actually play the dynamics of the drums for the guy because you would push the toms where you wanted them to come and pop through. Yeah. You know, or you'd, you know, you'd kind of move the stuff around. It was really nothing like the drummer played it. Mm. And honestly, today, a lot of drummers are so used to, you know, they get a click track, they sync everything up, they trigger drums, they just go, you know, they fix it later. And some really great drummers have come in my studio and they just didn't cut it because, you know, like, hey, well, the cymbals are too loud. I'm like, well, don't hit them so hard. <laughs> but, and they're going, well, can't you fix or, it in the mix? <laughs> yeah, well, I want to hear more toms, you know, turning around into the chorus. I'm okay. Well, let's let's just do it all again and keep in mind how you want your drums to sound. Like you're supposed to play them. I'm not going to play them for you. Like that. <clears throat> you know, and yeah, well, some drummers, some people don't like it because they think I'm, you know, being snarky or something. But I'm really not. It's like I know that if they can just play it dynamically and listen to the other musicians, and you know, but everybody's in the room, and it's like. You know, you want to hear more toms, hit them harder. If you think the, the side stick's too loud, well, don't hit it so hard. That's right. Listen, That's right. Listen how it's interacting in the room because the mic don't lie. Yeah, and I like that you're trying to make clear to them, you know, I'm doing this in the best interest of the recording, and I'm not doing it to be a jerk. I have a point, and I have... I don't want to say a process, but this is the way I do all my recordings. It kind of makes me think of a few weeks ago, I interviewed NAM president and CEO Joe Lamond, and we talked about how his having been a drummer for Tommy Two-Tone, a touring manager for Todd Rundgren, and even an installer has helped him in the role that he has now. And so, Chris, in your case, you know, I wonder, does being a singer, a guitar player, a songwriter, a producer, an engineer, and even a studio designer and speaker manufacturer, and not to mention a record label owner, d does that all complement one another for the most part? Or is there actually a case of, you know what, sometimes I wish I could turn off one of those parts of my brain and just focus solely on you know, whatever that one task is that you're trying to complete at a given time. So maybe it is this conversation with a drummer and you're kind of getting distracted by something else that you're thinking of that's one of the many hats you wear and you go you know right now i really just want to produce this this artist well i i don't think i don't think i ever want to turn any of that stuff off because you know it does they all they all inform each other for sure and as an acoustician i mean that really really woke me up to live performance studio recording and and then going back to david hassinger like you know if you really want the the best sound 
and the best feel, it's going to be human. It's going to be human by the person playing it, unless the guy just shouldn't be playing. You know, some people shouldn't be singers, shouldn't be playing drums or whatever, maybe mm. professionally. And I don't mean to say, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying, or maybe they're the not, not the right person for that song. It might be stylistically something that is out of their wheelhouse. So I think that, yeah, the fact that I know the stuff that moves me the most and when I hear it live in a room, I just want to capture that. Like when I saw Carly Joe, the reason that she got interested in working with me, I don't know, I haven't listened to her interview, but I should. I should have already, but I didn't. Sorry. You know, I said, I just want to capture exactly what I heard. I don't want to, I don't want to like do some big overproduced thing. I know how to do that. I've done a ton of it. Mm-hmm. I don't want it anymore. It's, it's just, to me, it's just sterile, you know? Um, and she really lit up. She goes, man, I, I can't tell you how long I've been waiting for somebody to say that mm. right there. And that is what her record is, you know, whether you like it or don't like it, it's real honest. And, um, you know, it, it got a lot of, uh, it certainly got a lot of attention and, uh, Michael McDonald fell in love with her voice and he had, he offered to sing on it. You know, I'm sure she probably talked about that a little bit. And, you know, I got some good folks on there. Greg Lease played on it and um, Randy Tico, George Pendergast, Christian. I played on it, sang a little bit. And uh, as it turns out, there's a new uh, single coming out May 4th from Michael McDonald called You Belong to Me, which was a song that he wrote. You know, Carly Simon had a pretty big hit with it once upon a time. Yeah. And Carly Joe is the background. It's all her on mm. that record, Carly Jackson. And Buika, who's a, an amazing uh, artist, you know, from Spain in that kind of Latin market, um, she does a duet with Michael on this record. And it's something to hear. It's really beautiful. I would have sent you that MP3, but um, I don't think I can. <laughs> but May 4th is when it's coming out? That one's coming out. The first single kind of came out as a video. It's a duet with Willie Nelson called Dreams of the San Joaquin. And, you know, it's a, a beautiful video. It's a beautiful song. And You know, Mike had the idea to, what, what, what would I think if Willie sang the second verse? And I was like, can you get him? And... Willie really liked it, and he ended up playing guitar on it as well. And then his son produced this really cool video. And I shot the video of Michael in my studio, but everything else was Willie's son. And um, it's really a touching video, kind of about how California really was built by the Hispanic, you know, people, and how hard it is and, and was. And what's the name of that song, so people can go and look for the video online? That's called Dreams of the San Joaquin. Okay. I want to keep talking about this new Michael McDonald song, though, and, and the work that you're doing for him. I, it, it does make me wonder, you know, you're friends with names that the audience will recognize, such as Jackson Brown, Michael McDonald, I, I believe David Crosby. Relationships are so, so important in music and in, in business in general. Are these that I'm mentioning, are these friendships that evolved out of work that you did for these folks or was it the other way around and you were friends first and then ended up doing work together? You know, with Michael, I met him at a time when I was, you know, I was a young producer, artist working as a as a staff producer for a studio where he was recording his wife 
Amy, uh, Amy Holland McDonald, her second album. Her first was a Grammy nominated record. And we were just happened to be in the same studio at the same time. I was a huge fan of his, but I was doing a punk rock thing. I had a punk rock band called the Stocking Heads. We put, put stockings on our heads. It was, <laughs> it was high energy stuff. It was fun, you know. But and Mike, Mike was above all things. He was like, I really like that song, "Lose Control," you know, because he could hear it, you know, when the doors would open. So we just kind of became friends first, and um, you know, I we both had places in Santa Barbara and we'd hang out and he was learning how to surf. He surfs pretty, you know, quite a lot now, but back then he was really just getting going and I was always a surfer my whole life. So, and then he, he kind of called, um, I can't remember if maybe he, he might've hired me before we really started hanging out. He hired me to do some stuff on a, some synth programming stuff on his second solo album. Um, so I guess maybe to tell you the truth, you know, we kind of got to know each other in the studio, but we really got to know each other maybe from me doing that with him on his record. And then we started hanging out and we didn't do anything together musically for a very long time until um, he helped me. He got involved with the first Jeff Bridges record. You know, mm-hmm. I, uh, that was a funny story. He came into town. He was living in Nashville and he calls we love to go to this place called Rose Cafe. And, you know, we were catching up. What are you doing? I said, I'm working on this thing. You know, I was actually kind of going to call you because I'd love you to play keyboards for me on this Jeff Bridges record I'm working on. He goes, oh, the actor? I go, yeah. He goes, okay, man, I don't know if I have time. I'd love to hear it, though. Well, I took him up to hear what I was doing. He really got excited. He ended up co-producing it. And then we, I'm going all over the place, sorry. But we formed a record company called Ramp Records and, uh, that was the next time that I worked with Michael was on Jeff's record. And then I, I produced one song on the blue obsession record that we released there called, which was a Neil Young cover down by the river. So for many, many years, we just were friends, you know, we never really worked together. And, uh, and then, you know, we toured a little bit with him and Jeff and I did to support those two records. And then he and I didn't work together again until about six years ago when we started the project which is this album which is the whole album is really exciting i have to tell you Mm. um so that yeah i mean it was kind of work friendship uh crosby that's really been more just a friend i met him i think at jeff bridges anniversary party or something and we would just really have a lot in common and he's awesome you know he's funny really funny guy he's quite bright obviously super talented um and jackson you know jackson that's more of a friend thing too we haven't really done a whole lot of work together other than you know i do have a cover of his song on this uh on this michael mcdonald record that there's a jackson i mean i'm gonna keep it as a surprise maybe but there's a jackson brown song on the new michael mcdonald album that'll ultimately get released i'm sure and awesome. it's quite something. Um, I mean, I've, you know, I've been on stage with those guys, you know, like I've played, I've been on stage with Jackson and Crosby and, uh, you know, Mike and I have done some things together, just the two of us and, you know, um, not a whole lot, but probably they're more, I think they're more my friends than they are my, 
workmates. Yeah. Well, oh, there's there's one other name though that I'll run past you. And my gosh, for some reason his name just keeps coming up as recently as six weeks ago on episode 422. Ken Stacy was talking about working with Kenny Loggins, and I know that there's a Kenny Loggins Chris Polonis connection also. Yeah, I know Kenny. You know, he's here. You know, in Santa Barbara County, like everybody kind of, you know you run into each other it's it's a small little pond and kenny's awesome you know he's he's a great guy he's an, i was a huge he was a big influence on me in in many ways musically um i don't you know we've never really worked together i i think that we did some benefit thing for some kids or something once where he and me he and jeff bridges and i and actually my son christian you know i haven't like performed with him uh, okay. You know, I mean, you know, I've, we've done a song together here or there, some things, but not really. We haven't really worked. I wouldn't say that he and I have worked together, but uh, yeah, he's 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 here. Jimmy Messina and I have definitely, you know, worked together quite a bit more. Ah. Um, he's another great guy. He's in Nashville now. So, but there again, you know, I, I think these are all more kind of personal acquaintances than. Except, you know, Jeff Bridge is like my best friend, but we also have done a ton of work together and toured. Yeah. So, you know, so that one just kind of was, just kind of became, all of it became the same thing, the friendship, the music. There's no delineation between those two things, I don't think, with Jeff. And right. photography, everything else, you know. Right. I'm joined today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Central California by singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, producer, and recording engineer Chris Polonis. On the show page for this episode at nhte.net, I'm going to put a bunch of links for some different websites that he has, including lostcoastrecords.net, lostchordguitars.com, chrispolonisspeakers.com, and polonissound.com. There is a Chris Polonis Music Facebook page, which is just at Chris Polonis. There are also Facebook pages for Lost Coast Records and Lost Chord Guitars. You can also follow Chris on Instagram, where the username, again, is simply at Chris Polonis. Stick around to hear about the venue he has that you'll want to visit if you get to, say, the Santa Barbara, California area. This episode is being released as I am in my final days in Las Vegas for the NAB show, the National Association of Broadcasters. At the end of next month, I will be speaking in Orlando at PodFest Multimedia Expo. However, if you're thinking of starting a podcast or already have one, but in either case, have questions, you can talk with me directly from wherever you are located. I have taken my more than eight years of podcasting experience to the video realm meaning personal one-on-one -on -one online consultations, helping people at various stages of their podcast journey and across different genres of shows. You too can get help from me specific to your podcasting questions, challenges, etc. Don't just guess your way through it or watch videos from someone you'd otherwise not heard of and who is just speaking at and not with you. Email me via podcast at nhte.net and let's get online together to talk through your podcasting efforts. Chris, as I just mentioned there, I'm real anxious to hear you share all about Lost Chord Guitars, the music venue, the boutique guitar shop, and everything else that you're doing on site there. 
Lost Chord is really an interesting thing. And, you know, I, I should mention that reminds me of some of the artists who come and play there. Um, anyways, I, I wanted to, you know, just touch a little further on on the the single coming out and the Michael McDonald record, the the duet with Buika and kind of how that came about. The, and you mentioned, you know, Crosby, David Crosby. The first song of this record started about six years ago when Mike had co-written a song with David. And he just wanted to kind of hear what it sounded like. And, you know, he said, can I just come out and demo this song at your studio? And I said, yeah, sure. Well, it turned out that it was obvious it was a record and not a demo. Mm. And uh, that was the beginning of this. And then we both got really busy and we were supposed to get back and do more of that kind of stuff. And then, you know, five years later, he had started taking guitar lessons from a guy named Tony Ibarra, who's a really great, you know, kind of flamenco Latin uh, guitarist. And that's when they started kind of reinventing some of the Doobie Brothers songs and older songs and new songs that he was writing and and local musicians. And Tony, I think, really pitched him on the idea of of getting Buika to do the duet. So... um, that kind of kicked the project back into gear you know, to finish that record that we started five years prior. But we actually really started it back in about 2000 after we did the Neil Young cover. And I said, it'd be really great to do something that's really more just you without a bunch of other stuff. So it only took, you know, 22 years. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, me when you talked about Lost Chord because Tony comes and plays at Lost Chord and um, you know Mike's done some stuff in there and Lost Chord is really a recording studio acoustically with a stage and a great system and we do multi-track audio recording and we do multi-camera video shoots in there also but it also happens to be a uh, you know we have beer and wine and I love photography I'm a photographer so there's photography on the wall at the moment it's Jeff Bridges Wide Lux photos from his uh, from his movies. He's a great photographer. Hmm. And when he and I played there with the Abiders, um, he wanted his photos on the wall. Mine were there. So he took these beautiful photos from the Academy of Motion Pictures. They had done a display for him, and we moved them to Lost Chord Guitars. So they're on the wall now for a few years, and they're sort of part of the decor. I don't know, I, you know. He hasn't asked for him back. <laughs> it, you know, it's, it'll be weird. I'll have to put something else up, I'm sure, like I had before. So that's all the things. I love guitars. I love unique instruments. I'm really into different types of tone woods and experimenting with those types of woods and guitar sizes and shapes. And I found some luthiers that, that are willing and excited about that stuff as well. So... You got a wall full of guitars with, you know, like my favorite top wood is redwood. Not many people have probably ever even really played a, a, a real good guitar with a redwood top. It's it's amazing. It's hypnotic. The harmonics are super complex. And uh, so that's another kind of, you know, rabbit hole that I love to go down. So Lost Chord is all those things. And I have my own wine label and I work with. I don't make wine, but I work with winemakers. At the moment, it's mostly been Frank Astini from the Hitching Post uh, is who's been helping me with the wine the whole time. I like it. I like it. And for those who don't really know a whole lot about the boutique guitar world, 
Uh, I'll put a link on the episode for Chris's show page at nhte.net. Last summer, I sat down in Nashville at the Summer NAMM show with Jamie Gale, and he curated a boutique guitar showcase, which was at that show, but he toured 15 cities in eight countries. He's been called the preeminent authority on the guitar, meaning about the guitar, because he's a gallerist, a curator, a distributor, etc. So that's some interesting listening for you, too. Uh, On the related note, Chris, earlier I mentioned the episode of the show from a few weeks ago with Joe Lamond, the president and CEO of NAMM, and you talked about that that's where you met, granted off-site, but that's where you met Carly Joe Jackson. So will you go to the NAMM show in Anaheim at the beginning of June? And and if so, I'm guessing it's with a lot of your different hats on, or, or is there maybe you know, actually pretty one specific focus, like maybe boutique guitars. Well, you know, before, historically, I would actually exhibit at the NAMM show, but it was more my speakers and then my my studio design. You know, I've designed probably a thousand studios worldwide. That was a, and I'm still doing it. And that was more what I was at the NAMM show for then. But I'm slowly pulling out a studio design. I'm still doing it very selectively. Um, and, uh, you know, I've done some, some pretty exciting projects with some, some great people and great companies. And, uh, I just feel like it, it was one of those distractions that was pulling me away from making my own record or producing other people. So mm. the NAM show the last time I was there really just kind of hanging out. I, I didn't have a booth. I just was there to kind of, you know, I was, I was looking at, guitar builders you know because i knew that i wanted to do lost lost core guitars um it was originally called lost coast guitars but somebody else kind of had that so by the way jackson brown named it for me because he said well what about lost chord you know the lost chord and i said i don't really know what that is he goes well i don't either but the moody blues had a song about it. <laughs> <laughs> was a beautiful old composition so that that name stuck but so I was there really more looking at like I wanted to find those luthiers that were, you know, kind of taking those chances and using those really interesting woods. And, you know, Loudon was there and um, Goodall. And uh, I'm not sure if Goodall was there or not, but that's who I ended up working with a lot, James Goodall. And that's when I met Carly Joe. I think that this time if I go to Nam. Uh, it'll be more kind of looking at stuff as a, as a player and an artist and maybe stuff that would fit in lost chord guitars, you know? Okay. Um, okay. I, ultimately there are some, some builders that I have my eye on that I'd like to support that way, but won't, won't be exhibiting and I, I won't be looking for artists and I wasn't looking for artists when I met Carly. I was trying to get away from that scene to, <laughs> I was off campus because I didn't want to be in the mix of all that, you know, those big stages and all the showcasing and stuff. And I got lucky because she's, you know, I, I have every intention of flying Carly out to work on my record with me, come to think of it, because she sings really great harmonies on a couple of my songs. Hmm. Well, I'll tell you, you're you're very kind, you know, not only with what you just mentioned there, but, you know, the way that you are so ready to credit all these other people around you. I mean, obviously your son, sure, but, you know, really talking extensively about about Michael McDonald and, and his new song and about all the work that you do with Jeff. But I want to blow your horn for you for a minute because there's something that you just started to talk about very briefly as you were talking about 
the NAM show and stuff. And, and way back on episode 161 of this show, I interviewed Keith Charlie. He's a California-based jazz guitar player who also happens to be an audio systems manager at Sony for the PlayStation. And then a little more recently in episode 384, I talked with composer and artist Steve Wimet, who does work with video game and media entertainment companies. And lo and behold, folks, Chris has been in that realm too, having designed world-class studios for Sony PlayStation. And so, Chris, question, I mean, I'm, you know, really going a long way to, to compliment you here. I mean, that's tremendous. That's That's got to be one of the big feathers in your studio design cap. But is that when you when you're doing a job like that when designing a studio for Sony PlayStation is that as long and tough and demanding a project as it sounds like and and is it probably ex- a good example of to go back to something I asked you in the first half of the show is that probably a good example of of one situation where you really are laser focused on just one project at that particular time Those are you can't imagine <laughs> the intensity of those large projects you know i think the last one i did for them was i've pretty much done every every playstation studio on the west coast and worked on the J- japanese places and also their subsidiaries like naughty dog so that's they've been a wonderful client and partner and they use my speakers in every one of their studios also and i do all the voicing so you got to be on your game that's for sure um and uh it's a lot more demanding, I think, than a lot of people would realize as a designer. I'm much more than just giving them plans. I'm making sure it's getting executed. I'm, you know, boots on the ground. I'm watching every single thing that's getting built. And I'm sometimes not very popular when I'm <laughs> you know, trying to put in something that isn't what I specified because it's less expensive or or they already had it. So it's pretty pretty tough to be too diversified when you have a a huge project like that going on but i would you know i mean i was on tour with the abiders and still managing to to keep certain projects going um from afar with computers and you know people i trust on the ground but most of the time it's pretty consuming it certainly puts my personal recording project at the very end of the line you know so that's part of why I've, I've been pulling back from designing um, studios is because it is just, it's just too overwhelming uh, to be able to dig into my own personal expressions of art, you know, be it photography or music or whatever. So, um, but yeah, the, um, those, those are great. I mean, I've been, to tell you the truth, I've been trying to des- to retire from designing for almost 10 years. And then I get a call from, DJ Cascade wants me to do a studio for him, you know, Ryan. And it's like, I don't know, you know, and I meet him and he's awesome. He's a great guy. So I was like, oh, I'll do that one. And then PlayStation calls and they want to do another studio in San Diego. Well, I'll do that one. And then the Foo Fighters call, you know, and I did theirs. And, um, wow. And at, that's how I met Taylor. And Taylor wanted something in his own house so i did a studio for him which turned out really great he he really got a lot of joy out of it. it made me feel so good and um i sure miss him man he he was such a he you know i just can't tell you how generous he was with with my son and the band and and how he walked in there just like one of them you know it wasn't like they had to be an adult he came in and he was just like a a a kid that loved playing music with guys that could play pretty good. 
and play the kind of music that he liked. And he worked hard on it, man. Taylor worked real hard on that record. Um, mm. I know I'm all over the place. Maybe I drank too much coffee, but yeah. <laughs> no, that's good these. stuff. Those are those are genuine moments, and it's nice to hear those kind of stories because, as you said earlier. You know, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to go to the lengths that he did. And it's nice to hear when someone of that caliber doesn't think of themselves of being of that caliber. And they're just happy to be in the room playing some music. Yeah, he really, he was into it. You know, he didn't have to work that hard on it, to tell you the truth. He could have just, you know, he could have just gone in and played, but he really got into it. You know, and he really liked the kids, you know, him and my son got along real great and you know, just, uh, God, I just, you know, I'm getting a little bit choked up because I really, you know, I didn't get to see him much after I quit, you know, quit doing, working on that project. But um, now I'm never going to again. And, I, and it's a sad thing to think about. Um, but I still remember, you know, him telling me some really, he's a funny guy telling me some stories. And when he asked me, I was, well, maybe I could help, you know, what if I, maybe I could play drums on your kid's record. Do you think he'd be stoked? yeah i think he'd be pretty stoked (laughs) well you know you've talked about your solo project that you're trying to do and one hat of yours that you wear that we have not talked about yet do all these different hats that you do wear all these years being in the business all these environments that you find yourself in do they all feed the songwriter in you to where when you sit down to write there's no shortage of material to pull inspiration and song ideas from hundred percent yeah and it's and and that well has gotten deeper and deeper you know with covid and and life's experiences i mean something that you may or may not know i've also had some interesting health stuff that i've dealt with um i've had three craniotomies brain surgery yeah about 20 years ago um they diagnosed me with neoblastoma and gave me nine months to live and it changed overnight i basically had a faith healing people praying for me the doctors couldn't explain it but they took it out and uh that was a moment where you live with the thought that you have no chance of surviving for more than nine months um and then it recurred still not malignant two more times so i've had three brain surgeries and I went up and worked on a movie with Jeff Bridges right out of brain surgery, still just completely wiped out. We worked on this thing called Tideland, a Terry Gilliam film that I'd produced the title track on and played guitar. Hmm. So those kinds of things that hit you in life, which, by the way, nobody ever cuts you any slack when you've gone through stuff like that. It's really fascinating, you know, because I do have side effects from it. And it's like... (laughs) It's almost like, oh, almost almost sometimes I wonder, it's like, well, he can he can kind of take anything, you know. So <laughs> it's like, no, it's actually the opposite. When you've been hit with stuff like that, it's harder to take stuff. Yeah. But um, but yeah, so those kinds of moments definitely inform my songwriting relationships, um, the world, health, you know. And it's interesting because, you know, when I get really hit emotionally, the stuff that comes out isn't often isn't about what that is. You know, it's not often about what's really hitting me, whether it be, you know, COVID. Like I wrote a bunch of songs during COVID. They didn't really have anything to do with COVID. It was just stirring up emotions, you know. Yeah. Well, Chris, during our conversation, you've mentioned a couple different times about actually performing with Jeff Bridges' band, 
But just take that a little bit further because I want people to understand this is not just local shows. This isn't just, oh, he has played at Lost Chord Guitars and I get up there with him because I own the venue. I want people to understand like this is you really going out there with him to some pretty high-profile places. Well, yeah, you know, Jeff Jeff and I started working together back in the 90s. He hired me to design his studio, and it was another one of those things. We just became friends and surfing and playing music, and I started, you know, produced his first album with Michael, and we formed the, the label. But, you know, we ended up, that kind of teed him up to do Crazy Heart, and then T-Bone produced the next record of his, and a bunch of really great opportunities came out. So we've toured the country and played buffalo chips with fogarty and stevie nicks and there's probably thirty-five thousand people in that audience and you know most of the tv shows jay leno you know jimmy kimmel um whatever that one is in new york where there's the big window and everyone's outside of it anyways so austin city limits we did a full show at austin city limits and then jeff and i went back and played the the um 40th anniversary so yeah i've been his you know musical director guitar player keyboard player vocalist harmonica player for jeff bridges and the abiders and then he and i have done a lot of you know jeff bridges and chris polonis kind of just duo acoustic duos and we've played you know a lot of great shows all our you know the, the reviews have all been four and a half to five stars and we sold out every show that we ever played um we actually broke a record at stagecoach on the palomino stage which is ten thousand people they had thirteen thousand five hundred people there mm. that came to see us which is more than anybody else had ever had so um so it's a real band and he's a real legit artist and performer um and i think it's important for people he's been doing it longer than he's been acting and it took a minute back in the early days where people just thought you know, he's just an actor that wants to be a musician, but he's really a musician that became an actor. And, uh, you know, we worked real hard to, to go out and put on real shows. We rehearse real hard. Jeff takes it seriously, practices real hard, works on his, you know, he's got a really great vocal coach. And, um, and that's taken a lot of my, my live performances, you know, in the last 20 something years, it's mostly been with him, okay. you know, and, and uh, hopefully this new record, I'll, I'll get an opportunity to capture the imagination of people, enough people that will want to hear me across the country so I can go out and tour by myself, you know, with my own stuff. Yeah. That would yeah. be yeah. For sure. For sure. Well, we're going to close today with another song from Loke Dogs, who we had heard a track from at the start of this episode. Chris, another one that you produced, or, or maybe you're going to say co-produced, but tell the audience all about what we're about to hear. It's a song called Strung Out. Ah, strung out. Well, again, it's, you know, Christian Polonis. Um, he writes these these songs and melodies and lyrics and, you know, he just has, there's no, it, he, it just flows out of him so, so naturally. And this was another one where he came in and played the drums to the song in his head in a take, played the bass, you know, and in, no trickery, you know, this is like a stereo mic on the drums and, you know, he's just playing the song without playing to anybody else but in his head. Then he played bass, then he played the guitar, and then he did the vocals. And I think he put a solo on this one, perhaps. I think so. You know, and it, it just happened real fast. He was super prepared. And 
his band, by the way, if you ever get a chance to see Loke Dogs, they're playing at Lost Core Guitars on the 30th, and that's a great place to see them. Last time they, they played there, it kind of blew people away. Uh, one guy, Peter Lewis from Moby Grape, was in there, and he said, man, he goes, your son made me like that kind of music. I never liked it before, but I like it now. Mm. I like his so there's something else i'm uh, obviously i'm the proud dad but not without merit he's the real deal and his band is the real deal they're tight that's what everybody else said at lost core guitars they say we feel like we just saw somebody that we should have been seeing you know at a stadium someplace wow wow yeah when you hear comments like that and and compliments and reviews and all kinds of positive feedback about the band. It's, you know, I am no longer the proud dad. You know, the proof is in everybody else's high opinions of them. It's bittersweet. I'll tell you, my manager, Jean Sievers, who's also, you know, well, she's Jeff's manager, but she's my manager and she manages Brian Wilson. She saw Loke Dogs and she she looks over at me, points at me and gives me a thumbs down. And then she points <laughs> got the thumbs up and she comes up to me and she goes well well Polonis I love her like a sister she said Polonis your 23 year old son has officially blown you away he just smoked <laughs> and she's helping him now she's in, she's interested in you know getting him you know getting him ready for the next step so yeah you know anybody listening to this please go give them you know Check them out on Spotify. Follow them on, on you know, Instagram, Look Dogs, L-O-C-D-A-W-G-S. Uh, these kids work harder than anybody I know. Outstanding. They really do. Outstanding. Well, Chris, you work awfully hard yourself, and for that I'm grateful that you made time to talk to me today. Congratulations on the new Michael McDonald single that's coming out May 4th that you're a big part of, and we're going to be following you with great interest to track your solo project and see when that gets released, and you're right, hopefully we'll all look for you coming to a city near us real soon. But thank you so much. I've really enjoyed having you on the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, and I do look forward to I'm a lot more fun in person, so we'll see you guys out there on the road, hopefully. Awesome, <laughs> awesome. And with that, I will wrap up another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, producer, and recording engineer Chris Polonis. Again, there are multiple websites for you to visit to get more information on the various initiatives he's involved with that we talked about in this episode. On the show page for this episode at nhte.net, I'm going to put links to lostcoastrecords.net, lostcordguitars.com, chrispolonisspeakers.com, and polonissound.com. As I mentioned earlier, there is a Chris Polonis Music Facebook page which is just at Chris Polonis. There are also Facebook pages for Lost Coast Records and Lost Chord Guitars. And as you heard him mention, you can follow Chris on Instagram, where the username is simply at Chris Polonis. Be sure to let him know that you heard him on Now Hear This Entertainment. A reminder about the ability to get one-on-one with me through a private one-on-one online video consultation to discuss podcasting. Whether you have an idea for a show and need to know how to get it started, or whether you have a podcast that's up and running, I'd love the opportunity to help you. Between NHTE plus another weekly show that I do and one other that I used to do, I'm at close to 650 podcast episodes that I've hosted now over the last eight plus years. It's why you see me a lot of times posting on Instagram about being a speaker 
talking about podcasting at various events. Tap into all that experience that I've gained and get your questions answered and the help you need for a podcast of your own. Drop me a message via podcast at nhte.net and we will schedule a time to get online together. That's going to do it for episode 428. Thanks ever so much for listening. I'll send you out today with another song from Loke Dogs. This is the one that Chris just talked about. It's called Strung Out. Something's gotta change